Hey, this is Pastor Nate with Liberty Church in Dublin, Georgia. So glad you could join us. As we open up the scriptures today, I hope this message is challenging, encouraging, and just the right word for just the right time. Enjoy the message. Well, happy Easter. My name is Nate Dooley. I'm the pastor here. It's such an honor you would worship with us today on Resurrection Sunday. So happy Easter. This is our fourth of five services. I got two more to go, and I'm ready to go. I got energy for a few more services. Last service, I want to tell you about this real quick celebration. So this seat, every seat was packed in the house. Literally, there were people, I'm not joking, on each other's lap. And then we had almost 100 people in overflow. It was awesome. I went over there and gave the kind of the welcome part and then ran back over here and got on screen. And I think they thought I was like omnipresent or something, but I'm not. I'm just still young enough to run fast when I need to. But it's a great day today. But before we get rolling, I want to kind of talk about something that's never really made sense to me about Easter. There's two things that I want to address that I think we need to kind of tackle today and hopefully kind of figure something out. One has to do with candy. This is the candy right here. Does anyone in this building like this candy? Okay, look around, look around at these people, because at the end of the service, we're going to give an invitation. Salvation is needed in their home, okay? <laughs> this stuff is gross. I mean, out of anything that has been created that is edible, this thing needs to be, like, expunged from the earth for the rest of time. Anybody with me? Can I get an amen in the house? Like, please. But I, honestly, I do want to meet their marketing director, because for some reason, even though we don't like it, <clears throat> Every one of us has it in our home, and we buy it against our will. Like, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Like, I don't understand. We've got one of our kids actually likes that stuff, so we're still praying for her salvation. But, um, but we'll, see, we'll see what happens with her. Uh, but anyway, and the second thing is this, which I really don't understand either. Um, how many of y'all take pictures or took pictures with your kids or you did when you were a kid with the Easter Bunny? Anybody? <clears throat> Has anybody ever seen an Easter Bunny that does not look creepy? No, they don't exist. Let me show you the first one real quick. Like, that is straight out of a horror movie right there. Like, that is just wrong. In every Easter Bunny I see, I remember I worked at another church a, a while ago, and we were considering, like, hey, for the community, do we do, like, an Easter Bunny? It'd be fun, bring people in the doors, and kind of a non-traditional way. Maybe we should do that. And we started looking up costumes to buy, and I'm like, well, that one's too expensive. Let's look at that one. We're like, oh, oh, that one looks like it just got out of a horror movie. Like, it's just all, we can't do that. And so let me show you some more pictures of the Easter Bunny. Look at that one. Poor kid. I mean, that kid is going to have PTSD when he gets older. All right, next one. No words. No words. Next one. This is probably my favorite one. So look at the kid to the left. It's like cruel and unusual punishment. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's so funny. And that kid's running toward the camera like, Mommy! Next one. <clears throat> the kid's face says it all. He's like, I'm going to die. This is my last moment. All right, next. I think this is the last one. Yeah, look. So uh, story says behind this photo is those kids were swallowed whole. And that's the last time they were seen on this earth. So it's really sad, obviously. I'm just kidding. But I'll never understand the Easter Bunny or why it has to be so creepy. Like they, whoever they are, they figured out how to make Santa look fun and jolly and a little bit hefty. And you smile. And everybody wants to be with Santa. But like the Easter Bunny, it's like a clown. You don't want to be near it. It's just a crazy thing. Well, obviously, we're not talking about the Easter Bunny or peeps or candy. We're talking about John 20, if you get your Bible, John 20. In today's message, if you get your notes, it's your hand that as you walk in the building. Jesus is alive is the first blank. Jesus is alive. Something to praise God about today because that, because Jesus is alive, 
we worship today. And without the resurrection, there's no need to gather as a church. There's no need to worship really loud. There's no reason to get all fancied up for Easter or anything like that because that is the central part of our faith that we have to understand. And so in John 20, I'm gonna kind of fill you in with some of the details before getting to verse five is where we'll be starting. So before John 20, Jesus is taken to the cross. He stepped out of heaven to step on this earth and he lived a life and he's going to the cross and he's going to die for our sins. He's beaten, he's bruised, he died on the cross and he's buried in a grave, which is basically a cave, a tomb. And then we catch up with him on Sunday, three days after he was crucified. And right before the scene in verse five, Mary comes to anoint the body and she sees that the tombs rolled, the stones rolled away from the tomb. She looks in the tomb and she's like, his body's gone. Somebody must have taken him. So she's freaking out. She's scared. She doesn't know what's going on. So she ran to get Peter and John and she says, they've taken the body. And so Peter and John go running to the tomb and we catch up with John stooping into the tomb in verse five. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. Verse seven, the wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths that was folded up in a separate place by itself. So let me skip a couple of verses, kind of fill you in. So the disciples, they should have known that Jesus said he was going to arise from the dead. They should have known that. He said it over and over, over and over in different ways to different crowds and a mass crowd and a small crowd and everything. It was clear as day as you read the scriptures and you heard the stories. Well, they stick at that. They're thinking this something's stolen. They don't really understand. They are confused. In verse 11, we read Mary and catch up with her and we read about that right now. Verse 11. But Mary stood outside the the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. Verse 13. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. And I don't know where they've put him. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman. Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Verse 17, he says, don't cling to me since I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brother's Go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to the Father, to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your story, which is history. Lord, I just pray that you speak to our hearts from your scriptures. You got our minds so we can hear your message. I pray that the only voice heard in these next few minutes is your voice, speaking to our hearts and our minds about what you want to say to us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. So I love that. It's really incredible because I've been to that scene where they believe Jesus arose from the grave where the tomb was rolled away and there's a hole kind of in a cave and they believe this to be the place. Went down in there and there's kind of a a platform where a body could have laid historically and then as I'm walking out, there's a little wooden sign that somebody created and put recently and it says, he is not here, he is risen. It's an incredible sight. I love seeing that. But three things I wanna draw out about this passage as we celebrate the risen Savior today. But as we read this passage and as we read any passage, we gotta understand sometimes we gotta understand something from an Eastern eye, not from a Western eye. 
So in the Western world, America, we read something and, and we don't understand always what it's saying. But in the Eastern eye, a former Jew or a current Jew, they're going to read something and say, oh, the linen cloths were laying aside. Well, that actually makes sense because that's saying that. Well, we don't catch that immediately. And so sometimes in Scripture, it might say something like, do not, do not commit adultery. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory. We all understand what that means. We shouldn't commit adultery. In other parts of passage, you might see something that's not so clear. And sometimes there could be a message lying directly in the passage, but we don't read it with the correct interpretation. And so I'm going to kind of look at this passage from an Easterner's eye, from a Jewish eye, so we can understand the passage a little bit better. So verse 5, as we just read, stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, and he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. So this is an interesting detail because it's not like Jesus is just throwing his dirty laundry aside. It's not like his wrappings that were going around his body because he wasn't buried in a casket. They wrapped a dead body at the time. It's not like the wrappings were just kind of thrown to the side like dirty laundry because some of us in our bedroom, there might be dirty laundry thrown in every different direction. Or we might have like 10 different baskets and you're like, which one was clean again? And you might actually have different clothes everywhere. As long as you're not throwing the clothes at each other, I don't want to encourage you to do that. But we might have clothes in different places. Well, that's not what Jesus was doing. He's not just throwing them aside because that's what he's doing. They were laying where he arose from the grave. So most likely he resurrected straight through the linen cloths, but they were left to the side where he was laying. And so as we read that, one thing that we got to understand, it says here, it says the linen cloths were lying aside. And when you read that, we can understand so much, but Peter and John are going to understand a lot more because they have a Jewish background. So they could have realized that in that moment that according to the Old Testament in Leviticus 16, Aaron the priest, so a priest in the Old Testament was a mediator between us and God. He communicated for God to us and to us for God. And so that's who Aaron was. He also laid sacrifices out. He sacrifices for the sins of the people and the sins of himself, especially yearly. He'd have a special moment. They'd go in the tent of meeting and then go in the Holy of Holies where they'd only go once a year where the presence of God dwelt. He'd go in there and he would offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. Well, right before he goes in there in Leviticus 16, 23, it says, then Aaron is to enter the tent of meeting Take off the linen garments he wore when he entered the most holy place and leave them there. So Aaron laid his garments aside and he was communicating something to the people. The, the rest of the priests, the Levites that were cleaning everything up, he was communicating, it is finished. It is done. The atonement of sin, making right which was wrong. Our sin was wrong. He made it right through the sacrifice, the atonement. He is saying, it is finished. It is done. I'm laying my garments down here. We are done. So when Jesus laid his garments aside or he's laying them on the tomb where he was laying, he's saying, he's communicating to the disciples. He's communicating to Mary. He's communicating, it is finished. And as you go back to the previous passage in John 19, 28 and John 19, 30, you may remember on the cross, Jesus says the word, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And then he says three words, which y'all know, it is finished. And in the Greek, in the original language, that word is literally tetelestai. It means it is finished. The sacrifice is complete. Your sin has been paid for on the cross. So Jesus vocalizes it on the cross and he pictures it in his resurrected body as his linens that were covering his body were laid aside. 
And that's something to celebrate today because it is finished. The wrath of God is satisfied. We are forgiven through a blood-stained cross. It's kind of like a painter. Anybody remember the painter, um, Bob Ross with the big afro? Remember him back in the 70s and 80s? He was amazing. You should go back and look at him someday. But he, he painted, and it was just beautiful stuff, and he narrated his painting. It was a lot of fun. And at some point, he laid down the paintbrush, and his masterpiece was finished. It's like an orchestra composer is they're kind of, they have their wand or their baton and they're doing their musical masterpiece and they're finishing everything out. At some point, they lay their baton or wand down on the podium and the crowd goes wild and they cheer and they're like, it was beautiful, it was a masterpiece. And he's saying, it is finished. When Jesus laid his life down for our sins, he set it on the cross. He set it by laying his linens aside. He's saying, it is finished. Sin has been satisfied. Through a bloodstained cross, we can have life. And it's the Old Testament that was communicated and it was done yearly, but through Jesus, it is done for an eternity because the Old Testament sacrifices were foretelling of Jesus' sacrifice, but they weren't sufficient, but Jesus' sacrifices. So the second part of the first point is Jesus was communicating something by laying his linen cloths aside according to Leviticus 16, 23. He was telling that it is finished and he took our sin, our shame, our anger, our bitterness towards someone or something that happened in our life. It may be past mistakes or addictions. He's taken our secret life, our internet search history. He's taking that and nailed it to the cross and that's what Jesus did. And he took that and saying it's finished. And many of y'all last week, you came down here and over there in the back of the room and you took your sin that you wrote on a sheet of paper and we nailed it in the cross. Literally last week we did that if y'all weren't here. And, and we nailed it to a cross as a symbol symbolically of what Jesus did on the cross. He took our sin for us and took our place on the cross. He was our substitute. To Tetelestai, it is finished. So that's the first thing that communicated. And in verse tw chapter 20, verse seven, it says this. The wrapping that had been laid, that had been on his head, was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. So this is interesting. The first one was laid aside or laid where he was laying, but this one was, it says he folded up his face covering. Well, why would it say he folded up his face covering? Because the body linens were, linens were aside, which means that there was intentionality to his face covering being folded up and put aside. But in order to understand the significance of the folded face cloth, we have to understand Hebrew tradition of Jewish feasts of the day. Let me give you an example. So a servant would set up the feast table exactly how the master of the feast would ask them to set it up. So the service would, servant would stand to the side and watch the master the master would communicate with, with the servant without saying a word. So if he took his face cloth or napkin and he did this, he cleaned his fingers because they didn't have forks and knives back in the day, he cleaned his fingers, he wiped his mouth, he clear, cleaned the crumbs off his beard. If he cleaned everything and then threw his napkin next to his plate on the table, wadded up and threw it aside, he was telling the servant that was hidden, that was unseen, he was telling him, hey, listen, I'm done. I'm finished with my meal. I will not be coming back. But if the master did something different, he took his napkin, he stood up, he folded it up nicely and laid it next to his plate. He communicated something completely different to the servant. He was saying, I'm not finished. I'm coming back. 
and when you look in the tomb, which Peter and John did and Mary did after, they looked in the tomb and they saw that his cloths were laying there. And he said, well, wait a minute. He's saying it is finished. So I wasn't there, but somebody said that he said that on the cross. Well, that's interesting because that goes back to Leviticus 16. And then, wait a minute, his face cloth, it's, it's clearly folded up. Well, that means that he is saying something through that. If it's folded up, that means he's saying, I'm coming back. I'm no longer in the grave. I am arose from the grave, but I'm not staying in heaven. I'm coming back to get you. And that's what he communicates to them in the tomb. And that's what he communicates to us today. And that is why we celebrate a risen Savior. Because he did defeat sin. It is finished. The sin is satisfied. Atonement is complete. But then he also says, guys, I'm not done. I am done. But ultimately, I'm not done because I'm coming back. And he's coming back for us because he loves us and he's here for us. So Jesus says, second point is, I'm coming back. Because he throws his body linens aside or they're aside. And he says it's finished. And he folded up the face cloth to tell them I'm coming back. So getting back to Mary. As we close out the passage, she starts talking a little bit and she gets a little freaked out. And verse 13, it says this. She said, they said to her, woman, why are you crying? And listen to what she says. She kind of says a, a, a fact, a truth in her mind, an exhaustive statement that she believes to be true. She says, because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. So when she says this, she believes this to be true, even though it wasn't true. And so ladies and gentlemen, what we have right here is our first conspiracy theorist. That was funny, last service. Uh, but um, thank you for like three of you all that gave a courtesy laugh with that. But anyway, moving on to verse 14. It says this, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will take him away. And here in a second, we're gonna learn how he said, he said her name, but it kind of reminds me when I was a kid. And some of y'all may have had a mom or a dad like this, but when my mom said my name, I listened. And so I remember like at nighttime, I'd go out with my friends across the fence. We had a fence in our backyard and we'd always hang and play over at his house. And, and so elementary, middle school, we'd go over there and just have a good time. And, and she always said, hey, when the streetlights come on, because sometimes we're riding our bikes, so streetlights come on, you come home. And I'm like, yes, ma'am, I got that. Well, that never happened. And so she'd open her back door and we had a back screen door and she'd open, she'd say, Nathan! And I'd hear it echoing through the neighborhood. But I could hear her voice from a mile away. And she's loud but also knew my mom's voice. And so I, she usually have to say it twice. Nathan, I'd come home, she'd have a glass of water. Did you have fun with your kids? Yeah, great mom, she took care of me. But then there was other times that I heard my mom's voice and it was a little bit different. You know, like when she's striking fear in your eyes, you know what I'm saying? Some people know what I'm talking about. When mama yells, you listening. And so I remember I would hear a Nathan Patrick. Like when you hear the middle name, you in trouble. Like you better run or have an excuse or put a little child in the way of the way of mama. Like, I don't know, you do something. And I remember I'd hear that and I'd go, okay, what do I do? And I'd, I'd fake asleep, you know what I'm saying? And, and she'd come in there and she'd say, Nathan Patrick. And I'd say, oh, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. She's like, why were you asleep on the bathroom floor? Like, I'm just, just tired. Like, hey, how can I pray for you today, mom? Just trying to love my mom. Obviously, that's a joke. But, it, but I, I said to her and I was like, yes, ma'am. And, and she said my name and I, I knew her voice. My kids now, I've got three kids, London, Deacon, and Aspen. And whenever I say their name, they, they listen to their dad. They know their dad's voice. And they've learned that if they don't respond quickly, they could be in trouble. So typically, they'll respi reply pretty quickly. We'll be in a crowd at a football game. There'll be 100 people around. And I'll go, Deacon. And he'll automatically turn. Yeah, dad, just making sure you're good. Just checking in. 
I say to London, she'll be down the street or something like that. I'll, I'll yell out her voice, yell out with her name with my voice. And she hears it because they know my voice. And they're close to their daddy. And when I say their name, they, they listen and they respond. It's the same way when I was a kid, I, I listened because I knew my mama's voice and I didn't mess around with mama. Well, the man standing right there, Jesus, which she didn't realize it was him, quietly says her name in Acts 20, 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus says to her, he says, Mary. Turning around, she said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So Jesus calls us by name. He said, Mary. And he says to us, he says, John, Christian, Brandy, Cole. And he speaks directly to our heart. And what, what Mary does is once Jesus called her name, she recognized him and she clung to him. She, she recognized his voice. In fact, there's three times that I can remember there could have been more where people were with Jesus after, after he rose from the grave. And they didn't recognize it was him until he said something specific or did something specific. Same thing with Mary. He said her name and she recognized that it was him. When Jesus comes back, will you know his voice? Because he said loud and cleared from the cross, he said it is finished. He said loud and cleared from the grave, it is finished. He said loud and clear from the grave, he says, I'm coming back. And he says to Mary, quietly, he says, Mary. Something we gotta understand is sometimes Jesus doesn't, he's not gonna yell our name. We will with our kids, I do a lot. But Jesus isn't gonna yell our name from the mountaintops most likely. He's, he's gonna say it a little bit quieter if you know what I'm saying. And an example would be a, a teacher or a coach that is kind of more quiet. I was always the one like, why don't you talk louder? Well, the reason they didn't talk louder because you, you had to listen, you had to, you had to lean in. And like, what, what's, what's she saying? And you had to pay close attention to what she was saying because she was saying it quietly. To hear the voice of the Lord, you have to be close. And when Jesus calls your name, how will you respond? Because here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want to be an option in your life. He wants to be the option. He doesn't want to be a voice of the many voices, because we all have many voices of the many voices that are speaking into our life. He wants to be the voice. And he won't yell our name from the mountaintops. Sometimes he'll whisper it because you have to be close. But then when you hear his name and you recognize that it's him and you cling to him just like Mary did, it changes everything. I bow your head and close your eyes. You know, Jesus was right in front of Mary, but it took him saying her name to see it was him. You know, I can promise you there's, there's times where Jesus has been right in front of you. Maybe you or maybe we, let's say we in this circumstance, we've been too distracted to recognize him. Because it says in scripture, it says, it is finished. Your wrong has been satisfied. It's been made right. But he's coming back. So when he whispers your name, Will you recognize him? The priest Aaron in the Old Testament, Leviticus, he had to offer a sacrifice yearly for the sins of, sins of everyone. He was the mediator between God and man. We don't, 
we don't need a mediator anymore because Jesus died in the place of all mediators. He's our mediator between God and man. And he died as the eternal sacrifice. And when he comes, no one knows the day that he'll come. He's going to whisper your name. And are you listening? And, and he's going to open up the, the Lamb's book of life. And he's going to go, oh, Lindsay. And you're going to hear your name and you're going to walk into your eternal home. But there might be a name that's not in the Lamb's book of life. And, and if, if your name's not said or it's not written there, then eternal life with God in heaven is, is not your future. But that's why Jesus Christ died, so your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life. When you surrender your life to him, because Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live to die the death that we deserved. When he came back 2,000 years ago, when he came to live on this earth 2,000 years ago, he lived a perfect life, took our place. And today he can bring life to you because he arose from the grave and defeated death. And you may say, well, Pastor Nate, I gotta, I gotta be honest. Um, I made that decision when I was a kid. I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I got baptized and I, that's, that's kind of my story. And let me tell you a quick story and just, just bear with me for just a second. I know I'm talking with your head bowed, but I just kind of want you to think about your own life. And I was at camp, it was probably, I don't know, it was about 10 years ago with some teenagers, about a thousand teenagers there. And the pastor's daughter, one night of the camp, she stepped up and, and she was the leader of the student ministry. She brought friends to church. She brought friends to Christ. She was an incredible, godly young lady. Well, one night at camp, she gave her life to Christ as, as her savior. And we're all kind of like, huh? I thought you knew Jesus. Like you, you tell others about Jesus. You've got to know Jesus. Well, the next night we let her share her testimony in front of the whole camp because this girl was awesome. And if she says that, she didn't know Jesus. We're going to trust her. And she said, I wasn't real. I was going through the motions of church and my family because my family kind of was the church. And ultimately, I did not know Jesus. And many of you in this room today, this might be the first time you stepped in church in a long time. That, that might be your story. And right now, I just want to let you know that you can give your life to Christ today once and for all. And it can be finished and it can be final and you can make it right. And let me just say this before we get to a time of prayer. If God's stirring in your heart right now to make a decision for him, will you pray to receive him as your Lord and Savior and accept what he did on the cross for you? And so right now, I wanna, I wanna pray a prayer and you can echo it in the quiet of your own heart. And if that's you and you say, you know what? It's kind of my story. Or maybe it's not my story, but I just know I need Jesus. If that's you, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. And then I want to have a conversation with you after. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned, but you died on the cross for me. I give you my past, my present, my future. I give you my life. Please come into my life and live with me. I put you on the throne of my past, present, and future. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Jesus. I truly hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to find us online, you can at lbcdublin.com or any social media platform. Thank you for listening and have a great week.